Let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we come to you with humble hearts. We come to you with servants' hearts. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit just fill this room, fill our hearts, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and open up your scripture, Lord, to speak to us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Our passage today from John's Gospel is the beginning of what is known as the Farewell Discourse. Here, John's narrative portrays Christ's final words to his disciples on this Thursday night as he's betrayed and begins his slow walk to the cross. However, as I strive to teach my students daily at Little Rock Christian, we read the scripture, but we must also not see just the narrative context in our minds, but we must see the meta-narrative context. So how does God's overall picture of all of history depicted in the New Testament and Old Testament shape how we read these passages. John asks us to do just that in the very opening verse of the gospel reading that we just read. The passage reads, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. John uses Old Testament themes of the Passover, his hour had come, and his love to invite us on this meta-narrative journey to this very moment. While it may be the opening verse of the farewell discourse narrative, it's actually the symbolic arrival moment of the long journey of God's people. A journey that stretches from the patriarchs sojourning on a land that's not theirs, to Moses in the Exodus, to wandering in the desert, before finally arriving in the promised land, only to see the people of the prom in the promised land desire an earthly king and their unfaithfulness leading to exile before finally returning to Jerusalem. And as in any journey, their feet will get dirty and their feet will eventually need washing. Verse 1 opens with John highlighting that this is indeed the Passover. John is asking us to journey back to the Old Testament, what they call the scriptures, to the Exodus and the meaning of the original Passover in order for us to comprehend exactly what will take place on these next following few days. In Exodus, we find God's people sojourning in a land that was not theirs and held in captivity as slaves. God had made a covenant with Abraham that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars, land for his people, and they would be a blessing to all nations. Now in Exodus, as God prepares them to continue walking on this journey to fulfill the covenantal promise, we find God's people slaughtering an unblemished lamb so that they may place the blood on their doorposts in order to save them and their family from death itself. In general, sacrifice was the way in which the law provided for God's people to atone for their sins. This lamb gave its life so that the people of that family may live and continue walking on the journey. It comes to pass that Pharaoh does indeed let God's people go, and God's people continue walking on this journey to fulfill the covenantal promises of the promised land and a blessing to all people. As they're walking on this journey, they come to a point where they reach the sea and need to cross. How does God get them across this water? Does he provide them a boat? Does he ask them to swim? God miraculously parts the waters and asks his people to continue on their journey to the promised land by walking on dry ground. As they walk on this journey... God continues to be faithful to them and provides them with his laws and statutes. But we quickly find them falling from him and being unfaithful. 
Eventually, even Moses has a moment of unfaithfulness, and he too will never enter the land promised to Abraham. Sadly, due to this unfaithfulness of his people, God makes them wander in the desert for 40 years, but God is still faithful. Even though their feet are getting dirty, he does not forget his promises. We find him providing food. We find him providing water. We find him providing a way for them to reach the promised land, and the tribe of Judah continues to march on God's journey to this very night when we find Jesus, the master, the teacher, the Lord, one without sin, become the servant ready to wash the feet of his disciples on his journey to the cross. This brings us to the next phrase of the opening verse of John, which draws attention to the fact that Jesus' hour has come. Narratively speaking, we know that this is the moment where Christ must leave his disciples of three years in order to start that long walk to the cross. How do we know that his hour had come? Without the meta-narrative perspective, how does one know exactly his hour? As we continue the journey through the overarching meta-narrative of God's story and plan for his people, we see that this is the exact moment, the exact destination to which God's people have been walking and desiring during their entire history. This long journey to fulfilling the covenantal promise with Abraham is about to conclude. God's faithfulness finds that he is very intentional about his timing and his promises to his people. One sees this when looking at how God fulfills his promise to his people after wandering in the desert for 40 years, when he finally allows them to enter into the promised land. God has been faithful to them first by giving them Abraham descendants, and now he's faithful in allowing Joshua to lead them across the Jordan into the Holy Land. They are tired, they are dirty, but now the time has come. From Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way to the wandering, we find them walking on this long journey, and their feet are dirty. Now the hour has come, they finally reach the Jordan River, and are about to enter. How do they cross the Jordan? Does God send them a boat? Do they, does he ask them to swim? No, God wants them to walk into it on dry land. God tells the priests to take the Ark of the Covenant and stand in the river. As they do so, the waters of the Jordan stop flowing and a wall of water builds up, allowing his people to simply walk on dry ground into the promised land. Their hour had come and they enter the land with dirty feet. God is faithful to his promises, even if his people remain unfaithful. This unfaithfulness means that they still need to wash themselves regularly. And God provided them the ability to atone for their sins through the sacrificial law system that was given to Moses. However, we find that this law is not enough. No matter how hard we try, we cannot sufficiently atone for our unfaithfulness ourselves. Now, in our passage tonight on this Maundy Thursday, Christ's hour has come. God has decided that now is the time for him to demonstrate his ultimate faithfulness to not only his chosen people, but to all nations. It is time for him to display this ultimate love for his people and his creation. Back in John's narrative, Christ displays his love for his disciples by taking on a servant's role and washing their feet. Culturally, this would have been incredibly unexpected for the master or teacher or the Lord, one in authority, to take this position of washing their feet. However, we see that Jesus is in fact demonstrating that he did not come in what a first century Jew would expect as a warrior king messiah, but as a servant who came to wash the feet of those who are sinners, but yet believe in him. They have been washing their feet through the law, but find through their unfaithfulness that their feet are dirty yet again. Journeying back to the Old Testament, we find that once the people entered the promised land, 
they soon forget how faithful Yahweh is to them. They turn from him and want to be like the other nations. They are stubborn, and they want to set up themselves earthly kings like the other nations around them. Instead of allowing God to use them as a blessing to these nations, they want to be like them and turn from Yahweh. But God loved them so much that he sent those to pro- proclaim his words and to his people to repent, to listen to his statutes and commands, to atone for their sins, and to come back to him and his ultimate plan for them to be a blessing to all nations. He loves them and is faithful to them, but he asks his people to be faithful to him as well. Nevertheless, God's people are still on a journey, but one that sees them walking to foreign gods and turning away from the one true God, Yahweh. God sends and speaks through his prophets like Elijah to proclaim this to Israel and to ask them to correct their paths, to turn from these gods, these Baals and Asherahs, and to walk back to him. Again, we find God's people at a critical juncture in their journey. Elijah comes to the Jordan, and how does he cross? Does God send him a boat? Does God ask him to swim? No, Elijah touches the Jordan, and it parts for him, and he walks across on dry ground in order to ask God's people to come back to the God of love. God is offering them the ability to walk back to him. Elijah proclaims to the northern kingdom that Yahweh is the one true God, and Elijah demonstrates God's powers through seven miracles, including raining fire down from heaven when Baal could not. Yet within a few short years, we see the northern kingdom of Israel fall due to their unfaithfulness in God. Later, we find Isaiah speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah, stating the same thing. Turn from these idols. Walk back to the God who is always faithful. Isaiah is clear that his, this unfaithfulness on people's part will have consequences. But he proclaims that there is hope in a future journey through the line of Judah. And he foretells of a future king who will rule in the new Jerusalem. The southern kingdom of Judah does indeed fall. And God's people are sent on another journey into exile and captivity. But there's still hope. God is always faithful to his people and his promises. He promised that his people would be a blessing to all nations. There is still one from the line of Judah and David that will come and set things right. They will still have a long journey ahead of them, and their feet will certainly get dirty. But God is faithful to his people and loves them to the very end. That love for his long journey people covered with dirt is what brings us to Monday Thursday, the Last Supper, where we find Isaiah's long-ago prophesied suffering servant washing the disciples' feet this very night, preparing for his long walk to the cross to pay the great debt for all of his people's unfaithfulness. One of the commentaries for this passage of John offers um, an, an early 19th century picture long before the, the current tensions and, and uh, situation in Russia where we find Tsar Nicholas I giving uh, authority to one of his young soldiers uh, to be in charge of the money to pay those soldiers at a border fort. This young man, uh, much like the prodigal son, takes that money and he gambles it away and loses it all, plus additional government funds that he was to, uh, had stewardship over. There came a day when he heard that the auditors were going to be coming in that next day to check the books, and the young man knew that he was going to be caught and was in terrible trouble. He tallied up all the money that he owed, and then he wrote a phrase on the books next to that uh, tally that said, a great debt, who can pay, question mark. Knowing that the auditors would catch him and knowing the trouble he was in, he had made a decision that he was going to take his own life that night instead of face the consequences. In this agonizing moment of distress and exhaustion, the young soldier accidentally falls asleep. 
Now, Nicholas was known for, for sometimes dressing up in common soldiers' clothes so that he could walk among his soldiers and not be noticed. So he's, he's doing this one evening. He notices that the, the light is still on in this young soldier's office and the door is open. And he walks in to find the young soldier asleep on top of the books. He goes over to the books and looks at them and he sees that quote, that a great debt, who can pay? And he sees the tally of the debt that's owed by that young soldier. He takes the book and he writes on it and he puts it back down on the desk and he leaves. The young soldier wakes up in the middle of the night and realizes that he'd fallen asleep and reaches for his revolver to take his own life. And then he sees the books and he notices that Nicholas had written one word next to that quote. And that one word was Nicholas. When he said uh, his debt that he could not pay that caused him so much agony and despair was paid by the one person who had the ability to do so. Nicholas had arrived at just the right hour, took on that young man's debt, and gave him a new life. God loved his people to the very end. He loved his people so much that he sent his one and only son to the cross to bear our sins. That great debt of sin, all of human history, and all for future points in history, was paid full on that cross. Like the young man, we have done absolutely nothing to deserve this. Like the young man, we have been unfaithful. And like the young man, we ourselves cannot atone for our debt. Like the Israelites, we have our moments where we are slaves in captivity in need of help. We have our moments where we worship other gods instead of the God of love. Our feet are just as dirty as those who make us cringe when we read the Old Testament. However, as Jesus tells Peter, our bodies have already been washed. We finally see the moment on the journey where God allows his people to get their feet wet. John writes, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you were clean. It has been a long journey to this point, but we have arrived. God's people have crossed the Red Sea and crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Their feet are still dirty, but now God himself is washing them from head to toe. Sure, we need to wash our feet from time to time, but Christ has already done that for us. We come to the Jordan and find that there's no boat necessary, no need for us to swim to the other side, and no need for God to part the waters. Those who believed in Jesus as the Messiah have already plunged into the waters and are clean. Our debt has been paid. Our sins have been washed away. The moment that God's people longed for and hoped for has arrived. God is faithful and has given Abraham descendants as numerous as the stars, and they have made it to the promised land. Now on this Maundy Thursday, he is about to bless all nations by his son taking that long walk to the cross. He loves us right to the end. The hour has come where, he has sent him to a cro- where we have sent him to a cross to be the sacrificial Passover lamb. His feet will be dirty. His feet will be bloody. His feet will be pierced when we nail them to the cross. He did all this so that not only our feet but also our hands and head are clean as well. Through God's people, through the line of Judah, God is now fulfilling that final covenantal peace of being a blessing to all nations and to all people. Christ is the risen king. Do you believe that this is so? Do you truly believe that you're washed by the blood of the lamb and that your debt is forgiven? Do you find in the book where you've tallied up your debt 
And where you, have written, where you have written the phrase, a great debt, who can pay? One word next to it, Jesus. If so, can we humble ourselves enough to be the servant, to continue the journey in Christ's name, and, as his example shows us, wash the feet of others? As we take the walk down the aisle for communion, we are reminded of God's grace. We are reminded that we are part of the great meta-narrative journey, starting with creation and ending in Christ's return in glory. Christ has inaugurated his kingdom and sets at the right hand of the Father. Christ will come again and set everything to rights. Until that time, we must continue on our journey, and our feet will get dirty. However, our debt has been paid. Our bodies have been washed. We have laid the dirt meant for our feet and his pierced and bloody feet when he was hanged on the cross tomorrow on Good Friday. And on Easter Sunday, we will find him risen and our great, te- great debt paid in full. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this journey. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we, we ask that, that you give us humble hearts, servant hearts, to, to look at your example and, and to, to be that servant that you have set out for us to be. Lord, we thank you for, for this weekend, for these next few days, and the journey that you're about to take for us, Lord, as we go through these days to Easter. Lord, we just ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.